We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at the Beatitudes in our sermon series. <clears throat> There's this, ma- this mom who ran into her kid's room because she heard her uh, seven-year-old son screaming. And so she ran down the hallway into the room, said, what, what's going on? And, and there she saw the two-year-old daughter with the, the son's hair clenched in, his, in her death grip. And so he was screaming like this. And, and so the mom gently released the grip from the son's hair and said, said to the son, they're there. She, she didn't mean it. She doesn't know that it hurts. And so the son nodded in agreement, and then the mom left the room. Moments later, as she's walking on the hall, she heard a scream from the two-year-old this time. And she ran back, what happened, what happened? And the son responded, she knows now. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, retaliation is our default system, isn't it? It's what we do well. It's within our human sinful nature to want to seek revenge and get back on someone who hurt us or offended us. We naturally want to strike back. A couple of guys stayed up all night long in a hotel lobby when their wives were sleeping in their respected, respective rooms up there. And uh, they didn't intend to stay up all night, but they thought, oh no, what are, what are our wives going to give it to us or whatever? And so afterwards, the guys were together, and one guy asked the other, so how did your wife respond? And the other guy said, well, she was historical. You mean hysterical? No, I meant historical. She let me know everything I've ever done wrong to her. She's angry. We're all beneficiaries of God's forgiveness. We have to learn to forgive one another and extend mercy to one another. And we're all beneficiaries of God's forgiveness in our lives, his grace and his mercy because when he died for us on the cross. We all know the different definitions of grace and mercy, don't we? It's, we've heard this many times. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Romans 6.23, it's the gift of God that gives us eternal life, right? That's the gift, that's grace. We don't deserve it, he gives it to us. And mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. The first half of the verse is the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life, so mercy and grace. Mercy in the Old Testament, there's one word for hesed, and in the New Testament in Greek, it's elios. And so in the Greek, Ephesians 2, we were by nature deserving of wrath, God's wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Again in Titus 3, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He didn't give us what we deserve. Our God is a merciful God. In fact, in the Old Testament, of the 150 citations of mercy, um, nine out of ten of them are referring to God's mercy and his character. And in the New Testament, of the 26 of the 30 times that it's cited, 26 of the 30 times it's referring to God and his character. Like in Lamentations 3 in the Old Testament, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Hebrews 4 in the New Testament, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help us in our time of need. God has every right to pour out his wrath on us because that's what we deserve. We have sinned against him time and time again. We've been disobedient and obstinate, done our own thing, but God instead chooses to extend his mercy and his grace to us. That's because that's who he is, comes from his character. The woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, she was getting ready to be stoned by the the Pharisees, religious leaders, and and they're testing Jesus. So is he going to stone this woman and and thereby people think of him bad that way? Or is he going to... is he going to just reject the law of Moses and think people think badly of him that way too? So they tried to trap Jesus, and you know the story where he confronted these Pharisees the way he did by writing in the sand, and, and one by one they all left because they knew that they were guilty of sin as well. Well, then this, Jesus is left alone with this sinful woman, and he doesn't, he doesn't look over her sin. He said, in, in your um, Yes, you have sinned, but go leave your sin now. Leave your sin. Um, I don't condemn you, he says. And so Jesus acknowledged her sin, but he didn't condemn her and leave her feeling condemned. Rather, he left her feeling accepted, as if he were to say this, as someone wrote, young woman, you have sinned. Stones must be thrown, but they will hit me. Child, you have dirtied what God made precious. Spears must be cast, but they will strike my side. My sister, you have used the Father's good gifts to rebel against his plan for pleasure and fulfillment. Thorns must pierce the skin, but it is my skull that which will bleed. Jesus went to the cross because of his grace and mercy. He took God's wrath and our condemnation. So as, as God's children, then, as we reflect on God's character and on what he gives to us by way of mercy, um, we're told in Luke 6, Jesus said, Be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is merciful. We're to reflect his mercy. Or in the Beatitude this morning, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, we know all these verses, and there are many others that talk about God's forgiveness and his grace and mercy and his love. We know these, but do we apply them, especially after someone hurts us deeply? C.S. Lewis wrote, Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells this parable after being asked, how many times must we forgive someone who wrongs us? And they said, three times, four times, up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, I tell you, 70 times seven. And then he went on to tell this parable directly afterwards uh, of a servant who owed his king a large amount of money. In fact, he owed him 10,000 talents. And one talent in today's language would would be equivalent to 1.25 1.25 million dollars, 1 million two hundred fifty thousand dollars. One talent, 1 million two hundred fifty. So ten talents would be 1 billion 250 million. So this is a parable, and Jesus used hyperbole to make his point. In other words, this guy could never ever pay back what he owed the king. 
The sentence then would be handed down that they would sell his family, they would sell all his belongings in order to begin paying back the king. But the man falls down on his hands and knees and begs the king, no, no, please be patient with me, now pay back everything. And the king took pity on him, canceled the debts, and let him go. As soon as this guy leaves, he goes and he seeks out a guy who owes him 100 denarii. Now, a denarii would be a day's worth of wage, so 100 would be, say, $12,500, not a small amount. And he demanded that this fellow servant paid him back immediately. And the servant falls on his hands and knees and he begs, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But the man refuses to extend mercy and has the man thrown into prison until his debt would be paid back in full. Word gets back to the king that that's how the servant had treated his fellow servant. And he hauls this guy back into his court and he said, shouldn't. You have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. And then the king had this man thrown into prison and punished. The billions of dollars obviously represented what we owe God because of our sin that we could never ever repay or earn a right standing before God because we've committed so much against the holy God in our thoughts and our words and our deeds and in our deeds left undone that we should have done. And then the, the 12,500 represents the sins that others have committed against us, which is significant, but it's minute by comparison. And if we owe, if we've sinned that much against God and have received such great, magnificent mercy from him as a gift, and if we continue to refuse to extend mercy to others, then what does that say? about us. What if we do refuse? We pray the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or in Matthew 6, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. James says it this way, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over justice. So do these verses actually teach us that God's not going to forgive us if we harbor anger or unforgiveness in our heart towards someone? That we could possibly lose our salvation and eternal life or our relationship with God? I'm not going to give you my grace or my mercy. Sorry. I don't think that's what this passage is leading us to believe because after all we receive God's mercy and his grace as a gift we never ever did anything to deserve it long before we deserved it or long before we could do anything good for God he extended his grace and mercy to us and so we can't earn this mercy is is a gift from God right but what these verses do indicate is that if we refuse to extend mercy to others, then God's mercy will stagnate within us and it will stop flowing through us and we will forfeit the blessed life that God has for us. Blessed are the merciful. We're gonna forfeit that blessed life. We're gonna be miserable believers, miserable children. It's sort of like this old illustration I've told before, the Sea of Galilee is way up there. See that body of water, and, and on top of that's a little lake as well, and then it flows down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. 
Now the Sea of Galilee has life, has trees and fish and birds and is teeming with life. Beautiful place. And it flows into the Jordan River, which gently flows down to the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee collects all this water, and it's large, but it's dead. There's no life around it. There's no foliage or trees or animals or fish in this sea because it's dead. What's the difference? It's the same water source. The difference is, of course, salt water, but the difference is the Sea of Galilee receives water from tributaries above it, and then it also gives to the Jordan River while the, the, the Dead Sea only receives, and it doesn't give. It just collects, and it remains stagnant. And that's how it is when we receive God's blessings, his grace, his love, his mercy. Thank you, thank you for saving me, but we don't extend it to others. We become the Dead Sea. We only receive, and we don't give. And God says, you need to be like me. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. I was reading in Steve Hickey's book, Obtainable Expectations on the Beatitudes, this illustration, which I think clarifies this concept. I caught my husband, a woman wrote, I caught my husband being unfaithful with another woman. He swore that, it would never happen again. He begged me to forgive him, but I could not. I would not. I was so bitter and so incapable of swallowing a pride that I could think of nothing but revenge. I was going to make him pay and pay dearly, so I filed for divorce, even though my children begged me not to. Even after the divorce, my husband tried for two years to win me back. I refused to have anything to do with him. He had struck first. Now I was striking back. All I wanted to do was make him pay, period. Finally, he gave up and married a young widow with a couple of small children, and he began rebuilding his life without me. I see them now occasionally, and he looks so happy. They all do. And I'm here, alone, getting older, miserable woman who allowed her selfish pride and foolish stubbornness to ruin her life. There are many studies that show that if we're unwilling to extend mercy and forgive others, then it only ends in suffering to our well-being. For example, it adds to our stress, leads to depression, chronic back pain, increased blood pressure, high blood sugar, hardening of the arteries, cardiovascular disease, and high rates of divorce. In other words, unforgiveness damages us and blocks the blessed life that God has promised to each one of his children. But where does justice then come in, you might be asking. All right, fair, mercy. Got to offer mercy, but there's also justice. God is a God of justice as well. I mean, how can I continue to forgive someone who mistreats me 70 times 7? Do I, do I become a doormat and let them walk over me or, or hurt all over me? Well, right before the parable of the unmerciful servant, Matthew 18, Jesus addresses this idea of justice, and they're together like a, two gloves. Matthew 18, if your brother or sister sins against you, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But 
If they, do not, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. So this is a matter of justice. Pursuing justice is biblical. Confrontation of sin is often necessary. However, if you look at this, this passage again, and many other passages like it, you'll note that confrontation always has one goal in mind, and that's for reconciliation and restoration. It's not for condemnation. It's not because justice without mercy is only cruel and vicious and cold. It's condemning. I'm going to make them pay. And it's anything but Christ-likeness. So the ultimate goal of confrontation is to direct people to repentance and restoration. Now, we may not be the ones called to walk alongside someone who is mistreating us. In some cases, it would be very dangerous to trust that person. So forgiveness doesn't mean that I'm going to have to trust that person like a little child and an adult who's abusive. No, you don't put them back and say, just go forgive them, you know? No, there's gotta be protection, and you know those things, right? Um, and so I just wanna make sure I say that. But in Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes, in other words, it's not possible. It's not safe. To, um, and so if, if there's a spirit of unrepentance, for example, and they continue then it's not possible because it doesn't depend on me. But we can still forgive and be released from the hate and anger and the sense of vengeance. Mark eleven twenty five. when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone because they've hurt you, forgive them so that your heavenly Father may forgive your sins. It says nothing about the other person's repentance or if they're willing to change. But what it does is it says, hey, give me your burdens. Lay them at the foot of the cross. Lay them down. You need not carry these things because it's bad for your health and it will destroy your well-being. In other words, we must release them from our hook, having to deal with it, and place them on God's hook because God is much better at dealing with discipline. He's much better at punishing. He's much better at disciplining his children he wants to protect us and set us free. Take it off of your hook. It's, it's destroying you. Put it on God's hook where it belongs. Stormy O'Mardian wrote in her book, forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. It makes you free. Forgiveness doesn't make the other person right, but it makes you free. So we can entrust God with the disciplining. He's more than capable. And then there's one other short aspect of forgiveness and mercy other than um, hesed. In, in the Old Testament, there's another word for mercy, rakamim, and it means a motherly compassion and empathy toward the suffering. Chuck Swindoll says it this way, mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. And it's demonstrated in the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 when a guy was left beat up on the side of the road and people would pass by, right? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of the robbers? 
The expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, good, go and do likewise. Go have mercy to the miserable. Care for them with your compassion. It's the gift of mercy, but we're all as believers, children of God, to extend mercy to others in our compassion, right? Rachamim is always in the plural in the Old Testament, like lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So when we feel, man, I'm so bad, I, I, got, I have so much anger in my heart, oh God, I just fail you so much. Listen to what Jonathan Kahn says. You can never exhaust God's mercy. You never have and you never will. God will always have more mercies than you have sins, more than enough to cover every sin and to still have enough compassion left over to love you forever. Our God is a God not of mercy, but of rakamim, the God of mercies, plural. His mercies are new every morning. Again, God's mercies are not meant to be hoarded to ourselves. I have all these, I'm so blessed, God, like the Dead Sea, but rather they come to us and then they flow through us like the Sea of Galilee to others. Allow God's divine flow of mercy to flow through us to bless others. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The more we give, the more we receive. Like, uh, you know, pouring into overflowing, you know? So, to, just the last, last part of this is to whom specifically are we to share God's mercy? Quickly, to those who have need, as we already cited in 1 John, it says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? To those in need. And when we do give to others in need, then we're filled too, because in giving we receive, you know? It, when we lose our life, we find our lives. When we try to find our life, everything, I, I need to make myself happy. I have to, do my, I have to do things that make me happy. When we do that, then we lose our lives in the kingdom of God. When we give our lives away, we're filled with joy, like when you go on a mission trip. And for those who served, um, many people who served in the, the week, we had the conference annual meeting here, uh, people responded to me as a pastor. They said, man, your people are so filled with joy, and your staff is awesome. And I said, I know. I'm, I'm so blessed. And those who served yesterday at Brush Up Mac, who, who made breakfast for the people, it, it's very joyful who delivered cookies and drinks to the people working. We're just filled us with joy. It, it, it's joyful to give because we're filled with God's joy and his love and his mercy. And then we have another opportunity upcoming where we're going to serve our, our, our city food bank, our county food bank, where we're collecting food to give to them, um, but also we're going to beautify their lawn in the near future in a week or so, next Saturday, I think. In giving we receive, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So we give to those in need. Secondly, we give to outsiders. Matthew 25, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, outsiders are those who are the, they're lonely, they're isolated, they could be depressed, insecure. Um, you know, in high school, middle school days, you remember 
the lonely kids, you know, and oftentimes they can be really obnoxious because they're so attention starved. They'll do anything for negative attention. And we all have people like that in our lives and they're difficult sometimes to be around. But that's when we have to pray, Lord, fill me with your mercy. Give me your eyes to see them as you see them. Give me your heart that I may overflow with your love and your mercy toward them because you love them and you died for them. Pray for outsiders, not pray for, offer mercy. Also, offer mercy to doubters in Jude 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. They may, you may have loved ones who are doubting their faith. You know, they're walking through hard times. Then be patient with them. Be merciful. Be a listening ear. And then Jude 23 goes on in 23. Uh, be merciful to the lost. The lost. Sometimes we make the lost the enemies, you know. But no, save others by snatching them out of the fire to others. Show mercy with fear. In other words, Jim Dennison puts it this way. We should not be surprised when lost people act like lost people. We shouldn't judge them for that. How else should they act, right? People will unlikely be shamed into turning to Christ as their Savior and Lord. Rather, it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. It's not his shaming and judging and condemning and pointing out all their faults and, and oh, they're disgusting. Man, when church people do that, I can understand why people wouldn't ever think of setting foot in a church on a Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever when we treat people like that. These are the people we are sent to reach. This is why we exist this is the only organization that exists primarily for the non-member, if you will. So instead of being shocked by the sin of the world, what if we strove to shock the world with God's mercy and grace? This is kingdom living. It's upside-down living. The world doesn't understand it, but this is how we demonstrate that Christ is alive. And so to conclude this message, I've asked Cynthia wired to come up and share a testimony uh, on mercy as she sees it and uh, as we connect every beatitude to a testimony. So, Cynthia, thank you for doing this and being willing. Hello, my name is Cynthia Wired. I am a nurse, a medical, surgical, trauma, and pediatric nurse. Um, so when I was a child, I remember having a conversation with my mother where she asked me, why do you obey me? I responded, because I love you. So then in college, I knew I wanted to serve God with my life, and I kept reading John 13, 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I processed this a lot by volunteering at local ministries. Um, one of my most favorite is the Topeka Rescue Mission. I spent a lot of time there, even from nursing school. Um, but then I stepped into my career as a nurse, um, and I started to experience a lot more difficult things. Um, I bet you'd never believe that I've been hit, grabbed, um, yelled at, told that I'm worthless, um, and even been called a killer. But then COVID came, um, and that became very overwhelming. Um, and there was so much pressure from administration and the community. Uh, everything was just piled onto the bedside nurse. 
uh, just became difficult processing through hard thing after hard thing um, that I remember asking God at one point, I was like, God, can you just open the earth and swallow a bunch of people <laughs> um, like you did in the Old Testament? Is that still a thing? <laughs> um, and so, but no, that did not happen, and I still kept moving forward, um, even though it was very painful. Um, I eventually began to break down. I couldn't sleep uh, because I was shaking so much at night. I struggled to make food, uh, get laundry done, and the drive to work was the hardest part. Uh, thankfully, my mother and coworkers would come to help me as I would be processing through many panic attacks through a day. Um, and so it became very difficult. Um, many of us, we wanted to just quit, um, and we could have, but we didn't. Um, COVID was definitely a fiery test that if you were in nursing for money, you would not be paid enough, ever. Um, but God tends to give me a gift on my birthday, and he floated me over to the ICU, where I experienced um, a moment with a patient that I will never forget. Um, on that day, I had two COVID patients, one of which I knew was going to recover, um, but the other we knew was never going to recover. Um, the patient had already been there for 40 plus days at this point and surviving off of 80 liters of oxygen. That day, the wife and I um, had a lot of disagreements <laughs> and she kept demanding at me that we get him outside. Um, and I don't know about you, but that's very difficult to get someone on 80 liters surviving breath by breath um, outside on a high level of oxygen. Um, and even during that day, he became hypercapnic um, and started to lose consciousness. Uh, I had to bag him manually through the day and um, finally eventually get him fitted and switched over to the BiPAP um, so that he could regain consciousness. Um, the wife finally came to understand my concerns through our disagreement, um, but we still continued to work and try to get him outside. And thankfully, we did. It took many of us, many respiratory therapists, nurse practitioner, um, uh, a lot of us to get him outside in a very giant tank of oxygen that I've never seen in my life. Um, but I came to find out that that was his last request of life, is to be outside and to see the sun again. Um, his wife was very thankful uh, for that, and I am very thankful that I was able to participate in helping. Uh, so that weekend, his family all came to say their goodbyes, and the following Monday, uh, they withdrew care. I still pray a lot uh, for his son, who is growing up without his father, and his wife, who is missing her husband. Um, so while the work is hard, I still find myself thanking God for the opportunities to care um, for people and obeying his call for my life. Um, thus, why you see me serving on worship team, uh, helping with youth, greeting, planning, mission trips. Um, I just love spending time with God. So, And I want to thank many of you, uh, the church, who have prayed for me um, and all of us healthcare workers 
Um, you listened, you wrote cards, you wrote notes, um, and you gave me the space to cry. Uh, especially my life group. <laughs> they listened a lot and <laughs> heard me cry a lot. Um, so I appreciate your love, and I greatly enjoy loving and serving you back uh, from this. So to me, that is the beauty of the church, living intentionally in community, and in that, I see God. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Cynthia. And ever since she's been here, she's been the epitome of a servant leader in so many ways, seen and unseen. She, she sometimes goes on a mission trip all by herself, you know, because no one else signed up, and she's going to go anyway. So uh, she's merciful. Thank you. Uh, worship team, come, come on up. <clears throat> And so thank you, Lord, uh, for uh, this message today, this beatitude that you taught us, which is, again, kingdom living, which is so opposite of the world, to seek, want to seek revenge, Lord. Uh, make us peculiar people, I pray. And, and Lord, we do confess that it's sometimes hard to give up the anger uh, and extend forgiveness when we don't feel like we can in our own strength and we can't but the only thing we can do is lay it at the foot of the cross every day, day after day and sometimes forgiveness is a process and so Lord continue to bring healing and freedom and deliverance to each one of us Lord that we may be truly free from the burdens that we've been holding on to help us to take these things off of our hook every day and place them on your hook until we finally experience complete freedom, Lord. And we do confess where we fall short so that we may be healed, even this morning, right now. Amen. <clears throat>